Shalom Aleichem. Welcome to Stark Take. My name is Yaakov Wolf. Stark Take is a weekly podcast meant to address the unique challenges and opportunities of being a mentor in the workforce. If you haven't already, please make sure to hit subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. And subscribe to our quiet WhatsApp group where we post exclusive bonus content related to each week's episode. The link is in the show notes. This week, we sit down for a conversation with Mo Mernick. Professionally, Mo is the chief of staff at a startup called Triple Whale, which has over 100 employees spread across the U.S. and Israel. Mo has been giving a daf yomishir for over 10 years, and he also produces short, inspirational videos on the daf, which are available on the All Daf platform. But our conversation today focuses on something else entirely. Over the course of four years, Mo put together a column from Mishpacha magazine about work-life solutions in the firm community. In our conversation, we talk about how Mo became to be so passionate about this topic, and we talk about the unique format that he chose for the column. There are so many other fascinating parts to Mo's story, and I hope to do another interview with him down the line to unpack some of these other aspects. But I do want to quote one line that he wrote, talking about the challenge of being a Dafyomi Magadshir while also being a businessman. And he writes as follows, I quote, Clarify some of your longer-term goals, and then begin doing things today that'll help you work towards achieving them. While most business and startup blogs would say that one really needs to allocate all of one's resources and efforts to ensure one's business success, I invest significant time to prepare and teach the daf. How do I juggle that with my work? I have goals in my life beyond work. I know that Hashem wants me to learn and teach, and I work towards achieving that. Not later in life, not when I become comfortable, but rather right now. Hashem works in wondrous ways. With the established we put into our business, He can make us succeed or fail. It's in His hands. The extra time we invest in business won't sway His decision. Those who know Mo personally know that this is not just rhetoric. He lives this with every fiber of his being. And that's why I'm so excited to present to you our conversation. This is starting, and it's time to dive in. Okay, Mo Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Yaakov. It's a privilege to be here. Okay, so you're an inspiration to me in many ways, but in a most direct sense, the idea of this podcast really started from your Mishpacha Magazine column about work-life balance in the front community. So I wanted to get the backstory. How did you become so interested and so passionate about work-life balance? That's a good question, Yaakov. I think it's probably a question that many of us have. Certainly those of us that are trying to prioritize our Yiddishkeit, our Judaism, those of us that have career aspirations, and how those two work together is a challenge. I went to yeshiva, learned a lot, and I wanted to learn more. I need to go into the business world. Then you want to become successful in the business world. And all of a sudden, those two paths and how you optimize both, especially while trying to raise a family, be active in community, these can be very difficult to put together. I'll backpedal a little bit with a, just a bit of a story. I think it might help frame where I became especially interested in this area. I recently heard it was kind of a story that I sort of knew, but I recently heard from somebody who saw it live that uh, my dad, Elva Shalmi, passed away a little less than two years ago. Uh, he gave a speech at my bris uh, shortly after I was born, and he said over the following story that his career aspiration, he wanted to be a doctor, but he's a Cohen. Being a doctor is a Cohen, not being able to be near a, a mace a corpse, that posed a challenge. So he went to Ramosha Feinstein and asked to Shiloh, what should I do? I want to become a doctor, but I'm a Cohen. What should I do? So Ramosha asked my father, why do you want to become a doctor? 
And my father responded, because I want to save people's lives. So Moshe said, you may not be able to save their lives physically, but save their lives spiritually. Go into Kirov, bring people closer to Hashem. So that became my father's marching orders in terms of what he was really passionate about. And for many years, he traveled the globe, taught a lot of people Torah, and helped many secular Jews go to Yeshima Eretz Yisrael more inspired. He famously composed a song, a song called Shifty, 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 Woo, while on some sort of Shabbaton in a small city in Canada. So that was my dad's passion. At the same time, he was extremely active in the business world and was doing a lot of things there. And he wanted to remain, as yet other, that's story for him to remain more independent financially and then fund his cure of efforts without being a part of an organization. I kind of grew up like this, but a lot of people in our home and there was this innate interest that I had to help the Jewish people, but also to remain more financially, so to say, independent by not being employed by Jewish organizations and be able to be in the business world. Now, practically, that's wasn't super simple for me to figure out how that worked. And I bounced around a whole bunch. I just turned 37, kind of reflecting back on my career so far, you know, uh, after university, I had the opportunity to work for the Louder Foundation, a care of organization in Central Europe, long story, but I ended up there shortly after I finished university and I was able to teach for a year and run leadership programs and help the Jewish people there. And it was phenomenal. I was like, really on fire. I was like, wow, maybe I could do this. And I was like, maybe I should do this full time. I can, you know, impact and do so much, but wait, maybe I'll go back to business. And, and, and then I bounced into the business world for a little bit. I was like, wait, wait, but if I'm, but if I'm, working, you know, so many hours a week in business, then I can't do as much as I was doing for Jewish organizations. So what should I do? Hey. So I, I had my share of ping-ponging back and forth and trying to figure out where I was or where I should be more rooted. Uh, shortly after my wife and I got married, I was full-time NCSY director in Vancouver and the youth rap at the shul and we were doing that. And my wife was a teacher. So we were kind of focused on that. But at that point, it was becoming more clear that as a career and as what I wanted to do professionally longer term, I did want to go back to my roots and what the initial passion was. That was to really be based in the business world and do as much as I can to teach and to inspire Jews and to help with various chesed projects more as a volunteer and not as my job. I wanted to follow up with a question about your timeline. You know, work-life balance can be looked at on a daily scale, a weekly, a monthly scale. But looking back at your life, you really spent a whole bunch of years as a young man not in business. You waited on that. You were able to really devote yourself fully to Torah and to Kiro, and then you transitioned into the business world. Looking back at that period in your life, do you see any major trade-offs, any losses that you incurred by delaying your entrance to the business world and allowing yourself a few great years to devote yourself fully to Torah? Jacob, your question can go in so many di different directions here, and it's fascinating because early on in one's career, you know, you see people getting certain jobs and perhaps making a lot of money and on certain tracks and other people that might have been in Colwell for a couple of years and learning full time. Where are they? And years ahead, the older that I get, the more that I see that success in business, while from the outside, it might seem that way, is really not linear. So one can spend a couple of years doing nonprofit work or learning Torah or other things and can enter into the business world a little bit later. But because he was at 
quote unquote, the right place at the right time, he was able to make it big. Whereas somebody else might have started much earlier and they're working with this company, that company, and their resume was terrific, but the company they're with just, you know, didn't really work out. So it 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 it, it might seem that way. And certainly reading through Twitter or business books, it might often seem that that hustle culture that working really hard, working really hard is 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 the only way to succeed. Those of us who believe in Hashem, who recognize that he's really involved in every aspect of our life, know that if we're charting the path that we're supposed to chart and doing the right work that we're supposed to be doing, the shalas we're supposed to be doing, then ultimately success is up to him. And whether or not we ultimately succeed or not is really up to him. And I, I look at certain friends of mine that don't have, that have very non-conventional resumes or career tracks that have made it extremely successful, not because they hustled when they were 18 per se, somehow Hashem helped design them being in the right place at the right time, so to say, for them to be able to make it work. You know, I reflect back on a conversation we had during my MBA when I was doing a master's in business. And one of my one of my professors, non-Jewish guy, he was he brought up the question of whether or not there's something called luck in work. Because oftentimes very big career and business experts say that as much as you could be doing, you still need a bit of a luck to be able to make it big, the right place at the right time. You'll often find, whether it's Mark Zuckerberg or you know, they were at the right place at the right time. Their creativity, the innovation, it was when technology was hurting a certain inflection point. You know, Bill Gates, you go back. It's like, ah. And he said he believes it's a total farce. There's no such thing as luck in business. You can place yourself in certain situations whereby you're always going to be at the right, pl the right place at the right time if you put yourself there. I was thinking that's, that's so antithetical everything that we believe as believing Jews. Do we have to show up? We have to show up. But once we're doing that hishtalus, we know that ultimately success can come from that. And I do want to say your question, your question's a very meaningful question. There's reflecting back, doing my MBA, going into business, and now for many years, it's always been a question of how much to invest here and how much to invest there and, uh, on a macro level, how much to take on outside of work to be able to do and how much even on a daily basis do you put in those extra couple hours at the office and really show that you're hustling or do you devote all that time to learning Torah, teaching Torah or other chesed oriented projects? Maybe we'll discuss it later on, how much, if you are not devoting it to work, should be devoted to Torah and to family. And these are other kinds of questions we all have to think about and really work through that. So I'm not here to give answers. I'm here to share that when you talk about passion for trying to gain clarity, these are questions that I've been thinking about a lot. Therefore, the article that you mentioned earlier was really an article that was manifest from my interest in trying to learn from others. I'm trying to do this. I'm now a young husband. I'm a young dad, right? You know, all of a sudden I'm getting my first job out of my, out of business school, but wait, I'm still trying to learn Torah. I'm still trying to go to Kira programs and help and teach. I want to go to three million a day. I should be getting enough sleep at night. You also should be eating healthy and exercise. It's like, it's a, just, how do I be a great dad and a great husband? How do I be a great fit? How do I, it doesn't mean, and the hours don't add up. How do I do this? The purpose then of the column was to try to find people 
that in their unique ways are in some way balancing or juggling Torah, family, business in different kinds of ways that can hopefully shed some light. One important point to share is that I found personally that I had rabbis that I respected a lot. And I had business leaders that I respected a lot. I'd read their books or their podcasts. I would like really try to understand how they succeeded. But the synthesis of the two, having those two together, somebody who was both a Ben Torah, somebody who was a growth-oriented Jew, who was also succeeding in business, that was who I wanted to speak to more. That was who I wanted to learn from more to see not just how they were able to learn full-time, not just how they were able to only succeed in business, but how they were able to live a life that combined both business and Torah with one central theme of serving Hashem. That's what I wanted to learn from. And that's how the article results. Amazing. So that's a great segue to our next question about mentorship. But before we go on, I just want to highlight the importance of what you said. And I really appreciate the fact that sometimes we are lured into thinking that pushing more, hustling more is really going to do it. And that can really come at expense of very, very important things. So I want to highlight that and also point out one of my favorite articles, which I've discussed many, many times with people in the past, is a, a chapter in a book called Thinking Fast and Slow about the hidden power of luck. And I think that's a very, very important chapter because it really sheds a lot of light on why people are so hesitant to attribute things to luck, but why it's important to realize the power. And obviously the implications for from Jews, as you mentioned, are super important. So I want to thank you for those two two really important points and just to, to put a pin on them. So moving on, you mentioned that the format that you chose for this topic was a sort of mentorship format where on scale, you bring in these mentors and you interview them. And that's that's very, very, the, the columns are great. We're going to link them in the show notes and they're really, really good to read. On the topic of mentorship, on an individual level, so mentorship is something that you've, we've discussed in the past as being very, very important. So I was wondering if you could just describe a little bit why mentorship is so important and then discuss a little bit about how to find the right mentors and avoid the wrong ones. There's great literature. Svarim books, Shiorim, on how to try to be a Ben Torah at work. There's a recently very popular book on a Ben Torah for life. Phenomenal content on how to be able to be a Ben Torah at work. But in practicality, when you're there, when your boss wants you to stay those extra couple hours and should you go home to your family or not, right? You have a meeting scheduled right over Mincha time. Should you wiggle out of that or not? Should you dominate instead, right? How do you stretch the boundaries perhaps of what's going on around you? How do you react when you might see things that are perhaps fudging what honesty might mean? These are very, very difficult questions to deal with, especially when perhaps we're younger in our career and trying to grow and make it work and support our families. And personally, I've wanted to grow for mentors. I, one of the books that I was reading was a book by Tim Ferriss. Tim Ferriss, one of the most popular business podcasters and investors and tribe of mentors. But like he, he just has quick interviews with people. He, leaders of all different areas of the world and business in particular, trying to get their advice on multiple subjects in life. And I, 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 I found that to be a great model to say, wait, <laughs> I, while I may not know a lot of these people personally, I, there are names of people and I, sometimes I've read their content that they're doing great stuff in both worlds 
And I would love to learn better from them on how they've dealt with situations. I would love to talk to them in a way where they could be more vulnerable to explain times where they failed, times where they've struggled, because from the outside, they just seem perfect. And I want to be able to share that content with others because so many people I know were dealing with similar questions. The format for my column in Mishpacha that spanned over about two years or so, we had about 60 interviews with men and women, business leaders across various sectors all over the world, was the goal of trying to enable myself and others to grow through people's stories, not just hypothetical ideas, but practically, what did you do when this came up? How would you give us advice, those of us that are trying to grow in our careers, and what steps do we have to take to be able to make it work? And I wasn't planning to say this, but see this. There's, there's. I, I interviewed sixty people, but really, I could have, could have interviewed six thousand people or more. So many people are just so awesome. The decisions that they make daily, the way they really work on trying to do what's right trying to grow, trying to be better Jews, trying to make ends meet to support their families, trying to find every extra minute they can to say some more Tehillim, to do more Chesed, to learn more Torah, to be a Kiddush Hashem in the workplace. Number 60 was not because we were maxed out. There are so many people that are doing extraordinary things. I'm continuously blown away by that. I want to make sure that you know I do not define myself as the expert in this field at all. It's just of trying to bring out other people's stories. And what I want to help us all appreciate is that everybody's got a great story and we're all struggling to grow in this area. And that particular struggle to try to do more, to try to be better, to try to grow and connect with Hashem with the mandate of supporting our families is a really beautiful blend, which is why one of the only questions we're asked, one of the six questions we're asked when we, when we get to heaven, when we get to Shemayin, is where we honest in business. Did we do this right? And the curse of Adam, the curse of Adam Rishon was to go to work. It's, it's a part of what we're supposed to be doing here, and it's not supposed to be easy. But did we do this right? Did we balance that right? Did we fudge the numbers? Did we believe that God was really behind it? Right. So that's a great segue because there are so many wonderful people out there, but for me, I'm an individual and I want a mentor or a couple, a handful of mentors. And there's so much advice out there. Some of it's good. Some of it's less good. Some of it's more for me. Some of it's less for me. Heard from Harley Finkelstein, the president of Shopify, Jewish guy who lives in Montreal, that he has a small list of mentors and he has monthly calls with them booked in his calendar just to check in. He's doing how they're doing. And that's his way to continue to keep in check and ensure that he's on the right track. How to find Mentors, I would venture to say that we all have those people in our lives. We all have those people that we're maybe even one step removed from that we might know of. They don't have to be necessarily the biggest Jewish philanthropist or the person that everybody knows, but it might be the person in our community that wakes up super early to learn Torah and he goes to a job and he comes home and he's able to do that well. I know that I... I <laughs> Uh, from your dad to your father-in-law, and I, I, you know, I'll point out right here that I, when I was 19, 
And I was, I was doing my first internship at UBS in wealth management. I was finishing college. I was juggling a number of things. And I had recently left Yeshiva to go do this. I wanted to start learning Duff Yomi. I was like, all right, I need to make sure that I'm learning every day. So I was in Teaneck at the time. And I went to Beth Abraham, a shul right in Bergenfield, Teaneck. And it was like a super early morning Duff Yomi shear. And I met a couple of guys there and they had this little, uh, they, they, they used to take turns teaching the Duff Yomi shear. And one of those guys was Jason Schwartz, who now lives in Nofea Shemesh. And I remember I was 19 and I saw this guy who seemed to be like, like this really successful accountant, finance guy in Manhattan. And here he was teaching this like 5.30, 5.45 a.m. Duff Yomi shear. How do you, how do you do that? You've got a family, you've got this big job in, in Manhattan. And you're teaching a Dafyomi shear. That's awesome. It's like, wow. That to me inspired me so much to want to do something like that too. And to find your question was, how do we find people? I think there's people that we know of or people that we are sort of connected to or people that we know that we know that we could ask. And then learning from them, talking to them, whether that's setting up a weekly or monthly meeting with them sending them WhatsApp messages to bounce things off, or even just learning from them from afar. We also find what works for us. Those are really inspiring. And I, that example from Jason, and then a couple years later from Rub David Hofstetter, the founder of Dirshu, a massive Jewish organization that, that perpetuates a tremendous amount of Torah learning all over the world. So he runs a massive real estate company, super successful in the business world. And I used to attend his early morning, Dafiomi Sheeran, Toronto a few years later. So blown away in a beautiful conference room in a building. <laughs> and there, you know, I think the year started at 6.15 in the morning. There's a bunch of guys who were together learning a Dominique Shafras before going out to work. And I had really wanted, I'd really wanted to make that something that I'd be doing as well. So um, shifting into this for a moment, I think it's just an important story to share. Um, actualizing those goals and making them a reality is really important. So not just ideas, but how to be able to make them work. A number of years later, fast forwarding a couple of years, my wife and I were living at Bar Ilan um, University. My wife was the op, was the aim by at a one year program at Bar Ilan. I was I just finished an MBA at Tel Aviv University, and uh, I was looking for a local Dafyomi share in English. My Hebrew wasn't good enough to attend a Hebrew share. There was and I couldn't find any local English year to be able to go to. And there's a lot of students at Bar-Yulan, a lot of Anglos in the area. There was no English stuff, Yomi share. So those years of inspiration from those people that I saw who were in business, who also taught, I was like, no, if there's no share, maybe I'll try to give this a shot. When encouragement of my wife posted it around and I shared and I started a Daf Yomi share at the Merkazi Shul in Givat Shmuel. And uh, thank God now it's been over 10 years, I moved to Ramat Beit few breaks in the middle, but in general, I've been teaching this year now for like over 10 years now, my shul here at KSY. It's one of the highlights of my life to be able to start the morning early, learn Duff Yomi together with a great chaper of guys, a lot of whom have various jobs in various sectors, and we learn together. And 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 the, that inspiration that I was able to get early on from Jason, from Rodevit Hofstetter, they're able to be in business and teach Torah be able to say this is something that I want to be doing and working towards that all my skills and all my growth while I'm in business then be able to actualize it and do it and do it daily that's what I'd highly recommend that we do is to take these ideas from the people that we're learning them from 
put them into reality and try to live them ourselves. Well, so the the last column for now that you did in the Mishpacha was you interviewed yourself. And one of the things that comes up in that last column, we'll definitely include the link for those who want to take a look, is the fact that overcoming adversity has been a big part of your life. And you actually wrote a whole entire book called The Gift of Stuttering. I have it right here in front of my computer, Confronting Life's Challenges, A Personal Journey. So it's been a big part of your life, stuttering. Now, some big challenges in life get thrown our way and we don't have a choice. But in many other areas of life, we can choose about taking on a challenge or not taking it on. Or we're in a challenging situation and quitting is sometimes an option. Based on your experiences battling adversity, can you give some advice on how to develop grit and how to find the right time to quit? It's a loaded question. And let's try to unpack that a little bit. Earlier, we spoke about being believers. God runs the world. God knows what's best for us. He gives us our package that we should then use to be able to maximize the impact we can have here in this world. Challenges included. And therefore, to appreciate those challenges are a gift that enable us to work through, not always to overcome, to work through to be able to become the person that we're able to be. In a professional perspective, building a business, there's a pain and there's a solution. There's a problem and then there's solving that. It's 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 those very areas where there are gaps that we could then grow through them and build something incredible. If there wasn't a gap, there was a new opportunity to even build a business in the first place. So the 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 idea of challenges in our personal lives and growing through them and not just quitting early on because that's easier is really what gives us the grit also to be able to say, I'm going to work hard on something even though it's not easy. Now you mentioned something we need to differentiate between areas where there's sometimes the right time to throw in the towel. Being a startup guy and having been a startup mentor and having spoken on stage about startups, I finally had the guts to launch my own startup a couple of years ago. And I raised venture capital and I launched a company and questions on my mind a lot. <laughs> the company wasn't succeeding in the way that I was hoping or wanted it to. Do I throw in the towel or do I not? Great. Go, go, Oscar, go, 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 go. You can do more just one To what point, to what extent do you work on building something and when do you throw in the towel? There's a lot here. But I, I want to say that sometimes you have to know when is the right time to fold them. When's the right time to fold them? The right time to fold my business was just about a year in or so. I raised enough venture capital to launch it and to test it and to try it, but it wasn't growing fast enough to validate what would be a venture-backed startup. And it was the right time to fold the company. Very often though, with different challenges we face in business, and there are many, working through them and building something incredible as a result may be the right approach. Highly recommended here because there's so many nuances have mentors, as we discussed before, that have built companies that are juggling similar things to be able to bounce these ideas off, to be able to better help guide the decisions that we make. Okay. The book I have in front of me, it has a, a very interesting four Hebrew words at the top of the cover. It says, Yismach Moshe b'masnas chalko, which is a very beautiful and moving quote based on the davening of Shabbos morning, and it means Moshe will be rejoicing in the lot that he received. 
I wanted to focus on the word Yismach, Yismach Moshe. You really exude a great sense of joy and positivity. And I'll be honest, I would really love to learn to be able to do that a little better to, I'm sure it's very helpful in confronting life's challenges when you're able to really have very positive energy, which every time we speak, I always am inspired by and uplifted by. So I'm wondering if you give me any advice to be able to have that Yismach Moshe to be a little more positive and upbeat and joyful day to day. Yaakov, you framed the question like, you know, easier to confront life's challenges when you are positive. I'd flip that back. I was a miserable teenager. I was angry and I was rebellious and I was kicked out of high school. And there was a whole bunch of challenges around that period of time where it wasn't just like little positive Mo doing his thing and all of a sudden life's always so good and happy. To the contrary, life was really hard in many areas of life as a kid and working through those and growing through those during my later teenage years then empowered me to develop a much better view of what the world is and why God created the world and the mission and purpose that we all have and the beauty of the world and that life is really awesome. <laughs> if that's the case then, then we're able to then be more positive, notwithstanding all kinds of things that go on or around us. You know, it bothers me. Uh, you know, we ask people, yes, somebody how they're doing. How are you? So often people say, not bad, which means bad is the yardstick. Like bad. I, today I'm not bad. It's just like, I think you're going to sunny. I have kids. It's healthy. Today's not bad or even worse. How you doing? can't complain. <laughs> I know we say these things, but but it's absolutely bonkers that it, even the words that are coming out of our mouth, I can't complain. It's almost like, I wish I could complain, but it, there's like nothing to complain about. <laughs> I want to complain. I just can't, can't complain. When somebody asks you how you are, when I say awesome, like things are good. What is our attitude towards life? Again, as a believing Jew, if I realize that basic fundamental principles behind why God created this world. It's my pleasure to be able to do, to be able to build, to be able to grow, to be able to ultimately deserve the greatest possible pleasure. You know, athlete. there's so much there what of beauty behind life and how we're able to thrive in this world. Not despite, but through the challenges that we grow through. And yes, we're going through difficult times right now. So it, that doesn't just mean like we have a smile on our face and we're perking. It's like, yeah, yeah, come on, let's go. Let's go. It's awesome. No. There's this real meaning and purpose that even in the darkest of times, we see that flicker of light. This world is really beautiful. The purpose, the mission. And if that is so deeply inside of us, then we'll be on fire about it. I, I also find that, you know, in a business way, you talk to an entrepreneur who's building a company, they're often on fire. If they believe in their mission and if they believe that they're building something awesome, no matter how difficult it is to build that business, they're often on fire. They've got a mission. They've got a purpose. They're doing something. When there's an obstacle in their way, they're all over it to solve it, to be there. They want to accomplish something extraordinary. If I feel that way, if you feel that way about your life, 
if we all felt that way about this world, that we're ultimately here to accomplish something awesome. And what you could do, Yakov, I can't. What I can do, you can't. What anybody could do is unique to them and everybody needed. Do you imagine how on fire we'd all be? So ultimately, if we could work on digging in to appreciating that we have a mission, that we have a purpose, that nothing's for naught, the challenges that we have in our personal lives, the challenges that we have in our professional lives are perfectly designed for us to help us accomplish that mission, then we'd be on fire. I want to end off with one last question. The first time I reached out to you to get some career advice, you were obviously very gracious and very helpful. And I don't remember the exact quote, but you finished off with a statement which really threw me for a loop. You said that one of the most important things I should be doing in building my career is focusing on my shell and bias. And I didn't reach out to you to ask for family advice. Baruch I'm a very wonderful, blessed with a very wonderful family. And that's not what I reached out to you. I was trying to get career advice. So we discussed mentorship and other things. And you threw at me this curveball, focus on your family. So could you unpack that a little bit and tell us why focusing on your family is so important to building your career? I have seen very often, without saying names, of people that I know that have prioritized business success over family. Probably with some sort of notion that one day when I'm very successful, one day when I make a lot of money, I'll be able to focus on family then. I'll be there. I'll show up at home more. Be there for my I'll be there for my kids. Not necessarily does life work out that way. What people would pay to have a healthy marriage, what people would pay have a relationship with their kids, untold amount of cash. We can ensure that remains a priority early on, even maybe at the expense of always being the one who's the latest to leave the office or the first one there, finding a way to support our families. Ultimately, we'd really be the wealthiest people with a beautiful, healthy, dynamic home something that so often gets lost in the culture in which we live, where what is glorified is often otherwise. I want to make sure, if you asked, that as we look to build and grow and hustle in the next job and act, that we're ensuring that the root, the core, that the biggest priority remains the biggest priority. If that is strong, that is dynamic, that is super awesome. It ultimately gives a lot of strength, wisdom, and resources to continue to grow in one's career also into the future. It's a non-conventional answer. I don't usually say things like that, but it came out that way. And I'm glad that it did. We should all continue to remember to keep our priorities our priorities. It's Torah, family, helping the Jewish people, and we must work. And by the way, that doesn't mean that those things even have more hours than work. We might be working significantly more hours than we are, than we're at home with the kids, or than we're learning Torah each day. What is our ultimate goal? What do we ultimately want to accomplish? Even if I'm learning 30 minutes a day or two hours a day, and I'm working 12 hours a day, what is it for? Is my work so that I could ultimately serve Hashem? 
we're serving Hashem. Okay, but now no work. The way that we frame it changes everything. If I show up at work as an Evid Hashem, somebody's like, God, I'm doing this. My responsibility. I've got to pay the bills. I've got to, I'm doing this. Please help. The whole work is infused with meaning. Everything from, from interviews to research to hustling to succeeding to failing to whatever, it's all part of serving Hashem. It infuses it with meaning and purpose instead of it just being a grind. And that changes everything. And if we can have the right priorities in our life, then everything that we do, from the eating, the sleeping, the exercise, the family time, the fun, the vacations, the work, life can be a holistic, one holistic sense of serving God. I love, just to end with this, which is really a theme of the column that I've done, and I want it to be the theme of our lives. Rev. Hutner, bless the memory, describes that work and Torah should not be a double life. It should be a broad life. It's one life. We're not a separate person at home and at the office. It's one person, one service of Hashem. And sometimes during the day that manifests that I'm on a sales call and I'm trying to sell them. And sometimes that's there with my kids at home. And sometimes that's davening at shul and it's in front of a Gemara. One life. And if we can encompass that with what we do, that we could truly be on fire, really have deep sense of meaning and purpose with all the people. Well, Murdoch, thank you so much for being such a inspiration and so helpful practically and with positivity in my life and getting this podcast up and running. So thank you so much. And there's really so much more. There's an entire book on your life, The Gift of Stuttering. We'll include a link and hopefully we'll do this again and unpack some more areas of your very, very fascinating, uh, fascinating approach to these issues. Thanks. Thanks, Mr. Yaakov. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for doing this. I think the Jewish world can use a lot of inspiration and I wish you a tremendous amount of success spreading the wisdom, and may God continue to give you a tremendous amount of bracha in your life. On me. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in to Shark Tank. If you want to follow more of Mo's work, I've included a bunch of links in the show notes. Thank you so much to our production team, Yoni Schwartz, Yitzhak Shmimin, and Yassi Book. Until next week, keep on shtag, Mitabra.